This morning's reading is from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, and James chapter 1, verse 5, 16 to 18. Do not reprove a scoffer, or they will hate you. Reprove a wise person, and they will love you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given them. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the seventh chapter, beginning at the first verse. Jesus said, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Who do you see the speck that is in your brother's or sister's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to them, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, you first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of another's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample on the foot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if your child asks for bread, will give them a stone? Or if they ask for fish, will give them a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish, that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, the gospel of Christ. As we remain standing, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak and reveal yourself to us. So I'd pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would get out of the way, far less of me, far more of you. That your people gathered this day would be edified and your son Jesus glorified, for we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? The life of the Sermon on the Mount, the life of the kingdom 
is not a solitary life. It is not a life that arises out of a me and Jesus spirituality, but a life that arises out of community. A community that is committed to such a life together as the power and the gifts of the Spirit enable such a community to live in anticipation of new creation in everything they do and say and pray. Now, if that has not been clear from the beginning, Jesus, now as he closes off the sermon, makes it explicit, inviting us to lovingly come alongside one another to encourage those things that are consistent with the kingdom and to let go of the things which are not. Now, last week, we looked at the first five verses of chapter 7, exploring the tendency in all of us toward a judgmental, critical spirit, which is absolutely destructive to kingdom community, but how an encounter with the holiness, love, grace of God might free our hearts from such judgment that we might speak truth in love, enabling another to let go of the sin that so tightly clings and instead step into freedom. And I closed off the sermon last week by sharing a story of how a Christian friend did that for me, exposing an area of my life where the image of God was marred, that was diminishing life and relationships, and inviting me to behold the good news of Jesus for my healing. And I was able to hear what was a hard word to hear because his heart had been broken by the weight of his own sin. I was able to hear it because his sin loomed larger for him than did mine. I was able to hear it because he spoke to me without an ounce of condemnation because he'd encountered in his sin a God in whom there was no condemnation. I was able to hear it because in his sin he was met with the lavish love, grace, and forgiveness of God that he was now extending to me. And that one conversation, his pointing out the speck in my eye and supporting me in its removal, changed the very course of my life. And I believe that Jesus here in chapter 7 is inviting us to that same work with one another. But it is very, very rarely done, right? Why? Well, it's likely because we have more stories where that kind of conversation has not gone all that well compared to those instances where it's gone well. Because not everyone is open or appreciative to having the things in their lives that are not in step with the kingdom exposed and pointed out. Which is, I think, where Jesus moves next in verse 6, where he says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn on you. I say this is where I think Jesus moves next because there's much debate as to what these verses actually mean. In the early church, they were used as justification for guarding the communion table, the Lord's Supper, from all but the baptized. In our contemporary interpretation, links the pearls here to the pearl of great price in that parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. 
And the pearl in Matthew 13 is said to be the good news of the kingdom. And so the interpretation becomes, be very, very discerning about who you tell the good news of Jesus to, because it might not go over all that well. We could debate the validity of those interpretations, but each of them, I think, first assumes that Jesus here is radically shifting topics from kingdom relationships to church practice. But what if he's not switching topics? The other thread of interpretation which I'll take sees this verse as reflecting on the reality that not everyone's going to respond well to our attempt to speak truth in love. And in that light, this verse becomes a proverb, akin to the proverb that Inns just read for us. Don't reprove a scoffer. They'll hate you. Reprove someone who is wise, and they'll love you. I would suspect that all of us have had interactions with people where we offered what we thought was loving and helpful correction, and they couldn't hear it. They lashed out, and the relationship has never been the same since. But in another relationship, we shared loving correction, and the person was so appreciative of it. It deepened the relationship. We've never been closer. But because we often have these polarized responses, that whenever a situation arises that might call for truth in love, we're doing a cost-benefit analysis. Is this worth the risk? How are they going to respond? Is it going to go well for me or not? Perhaps think of a time where you've been walking with someone in a difficult situation or relationship. And as you listen to them, you're thinking, I'm not sure they're seeing this situation rightly. Or they're responding in a way here that I think might be making it more difficult than it needs to be. Or you're hearing them complaining bitterly about the person they're in relationship with as if all the relational issues were the other person's fault. And you're thinking, I'm not sure it's all on them. Oh yeah, they've got their problems, but you might be contributing to it. The patterns that are making this relationship difficult also make some of your other relationships difficult. But very rarely do those thoughts get articulated, right? And in some cases, that might be quite good because they're articulated and born of a judgmental, critical spirit. But at other times, those thoughts don't get articulated because we worry about the response that we're going to get. We worry about a piggy reaction. We will lovingly lay down pearls of insight and they'll be spit out, trampled upon, and then we'll get turned on. Now, why are wild dogs and pigs not all that happy with pearls? It's because they have a far more basic need that they want met, right? They're, they're hungry. And one bite into a pearl and they know, this is not going to satiate my, my hunger. And they'll spit it out and they'll turn on the one who was meant to give them food. You. Now, what do most people want when they're struggling with a difficult situation or relationship? They, they want a listening ear, right? Understandably but they also want affirmation. Yes, yes, of course, this is all on them. They're terrible. You've done everything that you could. 
anything other than that is not often all that well received. And so more often than not, we'll give them what they want to hear rather than what we think they need to hear. And at times that's rather wise. They'll never ever hear it. But at other times it may be a cowardice born of self-love. I don't want to take the risk to lovingly speak truth for fear of how you're going to respond and what it'll mean for me. A cowardice born of self-love. But I think we've also got to turn this verse around and reflect on it ourselves. When another seeks to speak truth in love into my life and relationships, do I create a healthy environment for that to happen? Or am I rather piggy in my response? Last week we talked about how the gospel needs to transform the heart of the one who seeks to speak truth in love. But the gospel must also transform the heart of the one who hears truth in love. If you've come to see yourself in light of the holiness and glory of God and are rightly undone, wretchless, blind, fool that I am, who will rescue me? And are met there by the lavish love, grace, and forgiveness of God, you can hear any truth spoken in love. For you know that you are far worse than anyone could ever see you as. And having another pointed out can't define you, can't ultimately harm you. For you have been met in your sin with the unconditional love and acceptance of God. Sure, it is absolutely true that on the one hand, no one can truly see your heart, truly see what motivates you. No one knows what you've been through, and so only God can judge you. And he has in Jesus, and you've been forgiven, and you've been declared right in him. But it is also true that we all have tons of blind spots. We're often completely unaware of the impact of what we do and say upon others. And in order to live into the fullness of the kingdom, we need a community around us who would lovingly speak truth in love, expose the blind spots, And because we need it, even though we don't feel it, and we likely won't, whenever another takes the risk to speak truth in love, perhaps our first response needs to be, "Hmm, that was hard to hear, but thank you for loving me enough to speak with me about it. Let's turn that verse around. Do I create an environment conducive for others to speak truth in love? Or am I rather piggy in my response? And if so, ask the Spirit to bring the good news of Jesus home to your heart in a fresh way. Now, a few caveats before we move on. First, I want us to notice that that Jesus has five verses where he addresses our judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous heart and only one reflecting on the problematic responses of others. Not every insight you have into a person's life and relationships is born of the Spirit. More often than not, it will be born of a judgmental, critical spirit. And if we approach others with any kind of that heart, we're going to get a piggy response. And that's going to be on us. 
Second, there's a danger when we speak truth in love, and the danger being that we fall into the trap of thinking that the problems in another's lives are due to a lack of information. And if they could just see what we see and know what we know, things would go great for them. But no one changes simply by being given information. And so if we're going to make that attempt to speak truth in love, to point out a speck in another's eye, we've got to do so pointing to the gospel, pointing to Jesus, his grace, his love, his forgiveness. I would suspect by now that lots of questions are kind of swimming around in all of our heads. Okay, okay, so, so how do I know if my reflections are pearls born of spiritual insight rather than born of a judgmental, critical spirit? How do I know when's the right time to speak or stay silent? How do I get the right tone, the right words, the right heart, such that truth can be spoken with kindness and gentleness and grace? What aspect of the good news of Jesus needs to be brought to bear here so that the other might find freedom and wholeness? Good questions. Verse 7. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. We don't have because we don't ask. The most important ingredient to speaking truth in love is not our insight, our tone, our timing, but prayer. We should never attempt to come before another to assist them in taking the specks out of their eye without bathing all of it in prayer. Persistent prayer. Prayer that brings discernment. Are our pearls born of godly insights or judgmental critical spirit? A prayer that brings about discernment. Is this the right time to speak or to stay silent? Prayer that that brings attentiveness to the work of the Spirit. Is this the right time, the right tone, the right words? Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open to you. But this is not a promise that is just associated with Jesus' teaching on speaking truth in love. This is a promise that is meant to close off the entire sermon. For Jesus is saying in it, if you want the glorious life of the kingdom to take shape in you, in us, ask, seek, knock. If you want a radical love of enemy that cuts away bitterness and overflows in prayer for them, ask for it. He'll receive it. If you desire a freedom from the anxiety and worry that has you imprisoned and paralyzed, seek it. You'll find it. If you so yearn for God to break the hold that money has on your heart and overflowing in generosity toward the other, knock and it'll be open to you. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is the glorious promise of what God is desiring to form in us by His Spirit. And here He's telling us how to grab a hold of that promise it's prayer, persistent prayer. Prayer that is shaped primarily by the character of the Father. Verse 9. 
Which of you, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? If your child asks for a fish, will give a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We could very easily be taken down the rabbit hole of Jesus referring to his listeners as evil. But to put our focus there would be to miss his point entirely. He's driving home the glory and grandeur of the Father. How much more? If you, marred with sin, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is infinitely more wise, infinitely more loving, infinitely more generous, infinitely more powerful, how much more will he give good gifts to you his beloved children. Jesus is saying that persistent prayer for kingdom life is shaped by a vision of the Father. And so it begs the question, what do our prayers reveal about what we believe God to be? Earlier this year, Orvin and I were in England at an Alpha conference. And the Canadian group, there were about 15 of us, had some time alone with Nicky Gumbel, who you might know from the Alpha videos. He's now retired as the rector of Holy Trinity Brompton, but he's still leading within Alpha. And in our conversation, he was telling some incredible things about what God was doing through Alpha, through the church, their dreams for the future, how they're desiring that everyone in the world would have the opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus through Alpha by Easter of 2033. It was an incredible, inspiring conversation. And later in that evening, I was reflecting on it and thinking, I think I get why those around him seem to excel. Their gifts flourish. For when I was around him, even for an hour, I thought bigger thoughts. I dreamed bigger dreams. Being around him gave the sense that anything was possible. And then the conviction of that feeling hit home. Nikki thinks big thoughts, dreams big dreams, envisions amazing things. Because his vision of God is bigger than mine. I have a small view of God and I pray for small things. He has a big view of God. And he prays for big things. What is our vision of God How does it lead into our prayer lives? Or what does our prayer lives tell us about who we think God is? So let's muster up bigger thoughts of God, bigger sense of his love, his grace, his power, his mercy. No, 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 no. Let me render verse 8 literally. For everyone who is asking is receiving. Everyone who is seeking is finding. The one who is knocking is having the door open to them. There's no qualifiers. There's no if you do this, then this. In the asking, something's happening. In the seeking, something's happening. In the knocking, something is happening. Jesus is saying you never waste your time, your breath, praying. In the asking, in the seeking, in the knocking, something's happening. What's happening? We're encountering the Father. The Father is opening his heart to us, giving himself to us. 
giving us a grander sense of his glory, his beauty, his holiness, his goodness, his mercy, his love, which in turn changes and shapes our prayers, draws us into a deeper persistence. We've got to do away with the thinking, once I learn how to pray, then I pray. What's the latest and the greatest book on prayer? No, no. Pray. And Jesus will teach you to pray as you pray. The Sermon on the Mount is the glorious promise of what God is seeking to shape in you, in us, by His Spirit. And would He lay these promises before us and then give us a pale reflection of them? Would He not open the storehouses of heaven to resource us, to live into them? For everyone who is asking is receiving. Everyone who is seeking is finding. Everyone who is knocking is having the door open to them. And so fittingly, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we yearn above all else to know you to see you, to experience, to taste, to know the glory and grandeur of who you are, your love for us, your hope for us. And we would ask right now that by your Spirit you would remove every impediment to us seeing and knowing. We yearn for the power of the Spirit to form and shape in us the way of the kingdom that we might anticipate new creation in everything we do and say and pray. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us the gift of community, a community that can lovingly come around us to encourage and to speak truth and love. And we pray that by that same Spirit, you would shape us to speak and to hear truth and love, that we might reflect your beauty and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.